Hi everyone, welcome back to Behind the Timeline, the podcast where we examine pop culture in films, television, and books across the ages. As always, we are your hosts, Lindsay and Scott. If you're interested in finding out what we've already covered or what we've got coming up in the future weeks, be sure to leave us a follow on Instagram at GoBehindTheTimeline, check us out on Twitter at Behind Timeline, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Additionally, links to our Patreon and our official website can be found in the episode descriptions if you would like to support the podcast. And now, on with the show. like i should have waited because you just like lit up <laughs> like you've been well and like you've been coughing this whole time but it's fine we all we all know i light the joint and start coughing right when we start recording every time it's fine it's a legitimate like we haven't really started recording until you do it no no the podcast <laughs> doesn't start until i'm hacking up a lung and cranking a joint hi guys welcome, welcome back to behind the timeline the show where we get fucked up and talk about old movies it's been yeah. a while since we got drunk and did an episode. I haven't been I drunk know. in a I, while on an episode. I was thinking about that the other day. Actually, I was thinking about it last night when I was sitting on my patio because I didn't know I saw a Miller Lite in my mm. fridge and I had grabbed a six-pack of Budweiser and I was just sitting on the patio and I was like, dude, I can't even remember the last time that I was like, you know what it was? What was the last movie that we recorded with Matt? Or like at night. I feel like we did the Batman. Yeah. Maybe we were drunk when we did the Bat. I don't know. We've been recording on Sundays during the day. So it's not yeah. really like, I don't know. Maybe we'll day drink for next week. I think we should because next I, week I, I'm going to, I'm actually, I think we should because I'm going to emotionally need it. Yeah. I, I think we're both going to need to be a little wasted for yeah. next week. Anyway, Shit. folks. That's, anyway. We'll, t- we'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. But, yeah. So uh, you're probably wondering like how we got here to 1988. Um, this is when I was born. This is very exciting for me because we are now in an era where I can remember a lot of these things, you mm-hmm. know, because I was like three hours old when this movie came out. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Clear memories. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I was born in 87, so we did not do any movies for the illustrious year of my birth. Um, we didn't. We did not. Nothing exciting happened in 87. But yeah, yeah we have come to our lifetime, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um. But we're here for Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit, which I think is really interesting that it's everybody calls it like who framed Roger Rabbit, but there's no question mark in the title. As someone who's like obsessed with like good grammar, I that like blows my mind. It is. That's weird. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Um, but we're back with Robert Zemeckis. Like he he here we are again. Like it's he won't go away. But not really, because this actually is like, visually, this is like an amazing movie. So we had him last time with Back to the Future, and then now we've got him again with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I think he's kind of setting this precedent for like quirky, weird movies with great visuals. Yeah, we'll see that. Well, we didn't like this movie, but we'll we'll see it later with the Christmas Carol that he does, right? Uh, And then um, Polar Express and... Yeah, but Zemeckis did, of course, his most famous movie is Forrest Gump, right? Is no. Yeah, it would be yes? Back to the Future and Forrest Gump. Yeah, so um, that's weird to me. The Forrest yeah. Gump is a weird one in this. It's kind of a huge oeuvre. jump from yeah, like what he's usually done. That's yeah, it's crazy. Really different. I would have never realized, but yeah, this this um tracks to me as a Zemeckis film. Yeah. Um. I mean, obviously, this was like an instant classic for everybody who saw it. It was a landmark leap forward for technology. Um, but here's the wild thing. Like, this was a dark comedy um, written by Gary K. Wolf, Jerry Price, and Peter S. Seaman, who 
since we were just talking about Christmas Carol, um, Peter Seaman was actually one of the screenwriters for Jim Carrey's The Grinch back in 2000. And I think now is like a completely wasteful time to mention this to you guys because it's fucking April. But uh, (laughs) The Grinch is going to be the Christmas movie that we break down this year for our Christmas special. Last year we did Christmas Carol and this year I think we're going to do The Grinch because I fucking love those. But speaking of stars and Jim Carrey, um, this movie had like some amazing ass people, dude. Like the ever amazing Christopher Lloyd is in this back with Robert Zemeckis from Back to the Future um, as Judge Doom. Joanna Cassidy plays Dolores. And God, dude, I love Bob Hoskins. Um, Bob Hoskins plays Eddie Valiant, along with the voice talents of Charles Fleischer as the titular rabbit on the run, Roger. And this is a kind of a low-key special shout-out because I brought up Bob Hops- Bob Hoskins. But Matt finally just showed his family Hook. And Bob Hoskins plays Smee in Hook. Oh, yeah. It's one of the main reasons I love that movie is he's so fucking funny in that movie. I'm excited to revisit that. Me too. And he oh, never told me what his family thought. I, we fucking better be. Came out like, in 90. Seems like we're getting awfully late. Oh, it came out in the early 90s. All right, we're good. Yeah. Then. Like feels like the end of the eighties, yeah. Ninety. I know. Do it. I was like, "Do we skip it? Did it happen? No. No. Okay. God, we're no. supposed to know this, right? I'm supposed to be the one who knows the shit. Yeah. You and I. I'm, I really should just start keeping the timeline up. <laughs> like, I have I'm it really open, dumb. and then I like verbalize while I anyway. <laughs> Talk out of my ass. Summary, Scott. Yeah, yeah the plot hammer. summary of this. Um, so fearing that his wife is playing literal patty cake with another man, Toon superstar Roger Rabbit has his studio employer hire Eddie Valiant, a now Toon hating private eye, to investigate. What follows is a whirlwind of murder, theft, squeaky shoes, and talking taxis as Eddie and Roger uncover a plot larger than anything they could have imagined or drawn. God, dude, I'm such an amazing wordsmith. You are motherfucking lyrical genius. I know. <laughs> what um, is going so, on in the background right now? Oh, you know what? Let me, I usually turn that off. Hang on, we can edit this out. Let me turn that off. That's my air purifier. It says, Lindsay's smoking a joint. Start cranking. <laughs> Hang on, let me turn it off. I'm so keeping this. <laughs> Are you stoked to edit this already shit show of an episode, Scott? Dude, did you not hear me? Because I'm totally fucking keeping that. Oh, I didn't hear you. I had to turn. I had to take my headphones off to go turn it off. No, I mean, do what you will. I just there's been so much. My speaker was dying earlier. It made a sound. It's just I don't know. Yeah, I heard that. That was awesome. Um, you can stream this movie on Disney Plus, which. I mean, okay, I recognize that it's a Disney movie. It's been on the Disney list from the beginning. Yeah. And for reasons we'll discuss after we do the timeline talk, it just still, it even surprises me. I was like, oh yeah, I guess this is a Disney movie that would be naturally found on Disney Plus and I don't have to buy it somewhere or rent it. And it just, I just forget that this was a Disney movie. So anyway, we'll talk about that um, in a bit, but you can stream this on Disney Plus. Um, Scott, to the timeline. To the timeline. It's 1988. Again, the year that Scott was born. America's sweetheart. We all knew it was coming. It had to arrive sometime. Best year on the timeline. Best year on the timeline. Next to 1987. Exactly. Well, obviously. 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 For historical context, 
Lindsay, tell me about the archaeological nonsense. Oh yeah, I was very excited about this one. So in 1998, archaeologists uncover the original Globe Theater in London. Very cool. Stephen Hawking published A Brief History of Time. NASA resumes the space shuttle program for the first time since the Challenger crashed. CDs outsell records for the first time. And Ronald Reagan continues to be the president. Oh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, Oscar winners and nods. So I want to take a minute to realize, like, or help you guys, like, realize something. Because I, I, while I was doing this, I had an issue. When we do the Oscar winners, it's for the movies that came out in 1988. So technically, the Oscars are the year after the year that we're discussing. So best picture for a film released in 1988 was Dustin Hoffman's Rain Man, which also would go on to win best director and best actor. However, like we had mentioned earlier, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a marvel of technology and won three of its own Oscars, best sound effects editing, best film editing, and best visual effects. For those of you who are Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, this is a really specific fun fact, but all three of those categories, Die Hard was also a uh, contender for in top grossing obviously because it's disney it was who framed roger rabbit it won the top spot coming in ahead of coming to america and rain man at 238 million dollars however Lindsay and i were kind of talking about this earlier but um it is worth noting that this is also the same year that oliver and company came out <laughs> Uh, fucking damn it, Oliver and Company. Dude, yeah. And true to our nature of not covering it, the numbers kind of speak for itself as the reason enough for why we aren't. But this was technically the last animated film in the Dark Ages. And Oliver and Company didn't even break the top 15 grossing films of the year. So if, if Who Framed Roger Rabbit had not come out, this would have been another massive bomb for Disney. Oh, it would have been horrible, but everybody hold on to your butts because Little Mermaid comes out in 1989, so Disney is just right about there. To the movie. No, No. we're actually in the parks this time. Good God, there is more to say. This is going to be the episode that needs more editing than any, any way. Than any, 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 any. (sighs) This movie, for once, because it has been some time since this has been the case, does have presence in the Disney parks. A major presence, yeah. Yeah, tell me about this, Scott. So, believed to be the star attraction of Toontown, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin was a major facet of the more child-friendly land within Disneyland Park. However, with the construction of Galaxy's Edge rendering rendering a large portion of Toontown closed, a lot of people actually ended up fearing that the majority of Toontown was going to be demolished, and that would include this ride for like colorful, like quirky kid areas and stuff like you had Goofy's Bounce House and shit like that. Um, fortunately, Disney execs have announced that not only will Toontown reopen in 2023, but Roger Rabbit's signature ride will remain, albeit with major story changes. I use air quotes for story because it's a ride, um, but major story changes, which will make Jessica a much more prominent figure in the ride. If those of you who have been on the ride, remember, you actually don't even see Jessica at all in the ride. The only time you see her is in a portion of the ride where her legs are sticking out of a box. Um, as she's being kidnapped. Yeah, and well, Jessica Rabbit's radar, so... True story. <laughs> Dude. Um, and then sequels, because I didn't actually know that this was based on a book until we started reading this. Or until we started <laughs> until we started doing this. But um, there are no sequels to this movie. There were a couple 
uh, like animated shorts and stuff afterwards. Uh, but there are two sequels to the books. Yes. Now we can go back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, Lindsay, I, I have to ask, have you... Had you seen this, but you had never seen this movie, right? I had seen it, but like as a little, little kid, not really paying attention. This wasn't something that I could have like told you very much about, but I had seen it. It, it wasn't like a Mary Poppins, um, but I, ha- I hadn't seen it since, I mean, re- long, long, long time. We're like, we're looking at like at least 30 years, I think, since I'd seen this movie. Jesus, dude. Yeah. So we, for all intents and purposes, we could say that I really hadn't. Um, but, and I'll say credit where credit's due on this one, right? Like, this is not my favorite. I think we can preface this whole review by saying this was not my favorite. And we'll talk about why as we go through it. But it does look really fucking good. I have to give it that. Like, this it, this thing deserved the Oscar. Oh, yeah. In a big way. And it's not often, obviously, we can understand why it got the Oscar. It's this really seamless blending of live action and animation. But... You don't see Disney films that are like Disney animated movies winning best visual effects. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like this Not was this really, point. it deserved the hell out of it. I actually kind of can't believe how good it looks. Well, and that's the thing that like kind of blows my mind about this, right? Because you look at this movie and you look at the way that everything's animated and um, like even dude, like even lighting when he first gets to the club and the the security guard the gorilla is standing outside like dude just the lighting of him being in the shadows and stuff it's like dude that's still super seamless and so for us to have something like that and then this like train wreck of horrible animation in oliver and company it kind of just doesn't make sense to me it makes me feel like this was where disney put all of their money but then i remember that amblin entertainment was also involved in this and Amblin Entertainment was what assisted with uh, an American tale and, uh, you know, like Land Before Time and shit like that. I'm so guessing it, Land Before Time, right? That's that's yeah. where we're, where we're going to be next week. And I assume we're going to have Amblin in there again. Yeah, we will. So for three timeline trips in a row, we're going to have Amblin involved, which is cool. That's kind of why I like I feel like a lot of people don't actually know or just assume that it isn't a Disney movie. Because I'm going to be honest with you, for a very long time, I did not think that this was a Disney movie. And it's because Why of us. You... Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's as much Disney as it is anything else. It feels much more Warner Brothers. Like, it feels like it's the Disney characters that are making a cameo here, not the Warner Brothers ones. So that's what's actually really funny about this. If you watch, Disney and Warner Brothers only agreed to have their, I believe it was Warner Brothers, only a, agreed to let their characters be used if they shared the same amount of screen time as the Disney characters. Yeah. This is so if you watch scenes like the, um, when he jumps out of the building, anytime that a Disney character is used, there is always a Warner brothers character right next to them for the same amount of time. And that's how the animators did it was they got around this, like using the same amount of time as they're like, fine, we'll just have them in the same scene for the same amount of time. Yeah, so you see the matchup. You see, like, Donald and Daffy have their, like, piano face-off, which honestly was pretty cool. And they're in it 
like they have identical screen time. Like when one of them is trapped in the piano, then the other one has their little solo moment after like, and then Mickey and Bugs is the other big moment you're thinking of when they fall out of the building. So they show up together. You're right. They're pretty much always together. My favorite one, I think though, was at the very end where Porky Pig does his, that's all. Tinkerbell. Yeah. Yeah. But Tinkerbell comes and does her ding and like, and um, closes things out and you'll see Tink gets an extra frame. She's the last one in there. She is the last one that goes through. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Um, Disney gets theirs. Right. I also think Mickey had maybe an extra second in there. I really like how sadistic Mickey was like, Mickey was like fully ready to murder a man. (laughs) Oh, we killed this guy. Give him the spare box. Hop. Yeah, it's like, oh Jesus God, like that was that was pretty crazy. But um but yeah, so this is the only time that Disney and Warner Brothers have appeared together on screen. And your note says as of 2021 that this is the case. And I'm like, is that that sounds really ominous to me? Do you no. know something I don't? Or is that supposed to, I was no, like, what is this? This is like so weird. Like, I realized when I wrote that, I was like, shit, I'm going to like, this is going to make it sound like I, something is coming up. No, there's, as far as I know, there is nothing coming up. Okay. Cause it really made it feel that your note. I'm like, as of 2021, <laughs> I'm like, what's coming in 2022 to Disney? <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, when I got the, the statistic for that, it was, um, like as of the writing of this article, oh, which was 2021. Right, 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 right. So I was like, fuck, all right, I have to put that in there. Okay. That makes sense. But even in 2022 now, I mean, we're only four months in almost five, but there's nothing, ha- nothing has happened in the last four months where bugs has gone to war with Mickey mouse or some shit. So no. And I, yeah. I was like, wait, back the truck up. What are we talking about here? What's happening? Um, yeah, it's, it's just the weirdest IP ever. Like, it's just really strange. They, the character Roger originally comes from the book written by Gary K. Wolf, um, who was he on the, uh, yeah, he's, he's on the screenplay writing. Credits yeah. He is one of the screenwriters. He yeah, was so directly involved. involved. And um, the book was written in 1981 called who censored Roger rabbit. And the plot of the movie is just barely even related to the plot of book. Like it's, it's kind of in name only. Um, but apparently Wolf got his idea from kids cereal commercials, like the tricks rabbit, right? <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? The tricks rabbit, like the interacts with the kids and his whole premise was like, everyone acts like this is no big deal. There's just these tunes that just like in all the cereal commercials, right? Some cartoon figure, like lucky charms, the same thing. Like, they even like count chocula and they would like interact with the kids in the commercials. Right. And he was like, what's that about? What does that world look like? Cause everyone acts like it's no big deal. So, and then he wrote this book and, um, and Disney bought the rights to this in 1981, same year it was written. So they saw this and they said, yes, please, which I like. And my question though is like, and I've kind of had this question because we've been in the multiverse of Maelstrom for some time. But like, why is it always vermin? Like everybody's a mouse or a rat or a rabbit or a chipmunk. And like every now and then there's a dog. What is this about? Explain it to me. Why is it always vermin? I actually have an answer for that. It's because give it to me. Disney wanted to create this world that kids could imagine fantastical things. And you're not going to be able to dude. like, think about it this way. How much different would the great mouse detective have been if it was just the great detective? Well, no, it's not. Why is it animals? It's why is it vermin? Oh, ver- 
I think it's because they're small and you can make this like miniature world out of it and imagine like, dude, what if they, what if they did have like carriages and what if like there really was a little mouse revolver, which is for some reason, the thing that keeps standing out to me about that movie, <laughs> the gun, the gun, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's a very animated gun in this movie too, but like, I enjoyed that. I, but so, so, so because it's little, so what's it called in, uh, in Zootopia? Oh, 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 God. It's like Verminville or something like that. It's been a long like, time since I've seen that. Uh, no, it's Little Rodentia. Little Rodentia. Yeah. Little okay. Rodentia. God damn it. Dude. Verminville. Whatever. I think vermin is maybe the word I'm bringing to it. Not I think something you are. Disney would yeah. like. That's, that's a very unsanitary word. Little Rodentia. That's what Disney's all about. That's yeah. what they, they fucking love themselves a little Rodentia because it is always some kind of rodent. And I'm counting rabbits in the rodent family, for the record. I, so, yeah, I kind of figured you were. <laughs> I know that's not technically correct, but I'm including them. And like weasels, it's all of like the lesser mammals. Like, what the fuck, man? I, anyway, that's a tangent that I just kind of didn't know where else to throw it in. But so Disney buys the rights to the book in 1981. I do like that they spotted this premise and said, fuck, yeah, give me that. Like, that makes sense, right? Um, but so my question is, and I'm wondering if you have more information on this, like, then why isn't it just a Disney movie? Why? Like, I get that they made a deal to get the WB characters, but like, why bother with Amblin? Why bother with Warner Brothers? They had enough of a catalog of IP. Why? It's not very Disney. It's not very on brand for Disney. It seems like something they would never do today. So why did they cut Amblin in at all? So the main reason that they would have wanted to cut another studio in is actually imagery. So imagine if you had only used Disney characters and you had seen like Aurora and Snow White at a bar drinking like martinis or something. It destroys the image of it's like off brand. Their, yeah, it's very off brand for them. But also and this is like something we're gonna get into, which is hilarious to me because it's actually the plot of another movie very similar to this. Um, called Cool World from 1992 with Brad Pitt and Kim Basinger, or Basinger, oh, however you say that. I don't think I've ever heard of it. It's so it's basically someone watched Roger Rabbit and was like, "What would happen if a human actually fucked Jessica Rabbit?" That's literally the plot of that movie. Oh no! Yeah. So anyway, that's um, not an appropriate question to ask. That well, so I. I guess that makes sense of like to diversify. And the other thing they did in this that I noticed immediately and I thought was clever is Disney was not anachronistic in the way that they used their IP. So there were no other than Tinkerbell, right? There were no characters in here that um, didn't exist at the time where the movie is set, which is like 40 something. Yeah. Right? So everything that they had shown had already been used in some way. Um, and yeah. this is basically like there's even a comment and this is what I think is really funny um, is the whole Warner Brothers Disney balance of showing characters. Um, there's a scene where RK Maroon is explaining to Eddie Valiant like, what do you think? I got him on loan from Disney and it's Dumbo flying outside the window and he feeds him peanuts and then flies away. Yeah. And they have they have Dumbo and then they say, oh, and I got half the cast of Fantasia and they got yeah. all these movies that were made prior to 1940, whatever, where this takes place. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. and then it, they have like the, the old school um, 
you know, Mickey and Donald and those characters, but like their movie characters from like stuff that we've covered, except for Tinkerbell are all done in the forties. Yeah, exactly. Before this movie came out, which I liked. And I think Um, they wanted to save that imagery. That's why we pulled in stuff like Betty Boop, who was like a, a pinup cartoon model. That's why we had like, it was okay to have her like selling cigarettes inside this club and shit. Well, and everybody smoked. Which Everybody's smoking like in this. Yeah, smoking happening in this. There was like, and I just I'm watching Russian Doll, which uh, so obviously I was dreaming about cigarettes last night. Naturally, like, oh, I mean, she's the most chain smoker character I've ever seen in my life. That mm-hmm. retractable fucking key fob that she has is fucking re- killer, dude. With the lighter on it, like I, she is a woman after my own heart. I wish I could live like that. I really do. Unbelievable. I know. I can't though, but. If I could make my own key, like in lock and key, it would be the undo the effects of smoking today key so I could smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Dude, we have a pop culture answer to everything that you want to do. <laughs> it's true. Oh, I think about that a lot. I'm like, if I lived in the key house. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, anyway, smoking's bad. Smoking um, is bad. And this movie does not deter you from thinking that. It Yes, for real. So... Oh, and then the one other thing about Amblin, which so I guess what I guess what you're saying makes sense is like bring in the WB to diversify and it made it super fun. Right. Like it kind of seems like a time where the studios were willing to almost working together. Away. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be like, yeah, let's do something cool. Fuck it. And that that would never happen today. Potentially. I mean, I don't know. I Ready Player One brought a lot of stuff together. They Ready were, Player One brought a lot of stuff together. And then so did uh, Free Guy. Is Free Guy. Mm-hmm. And Disney like, basically was just way. like, dude, take whatever you want. Yeah, like, it's fine. Who cares? Use whatever. Like, and I just watched that movie. So I'm like, my, my memory of this movie is like fresh. Dude, you have shitloads of references in this movie that aren't even disney you have the halo tanks you have fucking mortal Kombat characters you have mm-hmm. gta stuff it it shows how awesome something can be if studios just worked together on something mm-hmm. like i don't i don't like him as the flash but the the episode where ezra miller miller appears on the cw's flash was so dope no, that was incredible. That was in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, that's when he gets there and they're just talking to each other about their suits. Well, it's a little bit. It's it's what we beg of Sony, right? Sony yeah, and exactly. Just be like, guys, just do the do the right thing for the fans. Make it cool. Get over yourselves. You know. Well, so, and I I think that's where everybody's kind of sitting right now, especially after everything that happened with Morbius. <laughs> right it's like sony give up just you made a really good video game and other than that like let's just anyway my the thing that's interesting about this though is like and maybe i just don't understand the studio as well enough but like all these characters are warner brothers characters is amblin a part of warner brothers eventually it would be so but it's so it's weird right it's like okay we have it's a disney movie with disney characters and Warner Brothers characters, but we're doing it in partnership with Amblin Animate or Amblin Entertainment, who had an animation division. And it's like, did Warner Brothers not have an animation division at this time? And that's why they had Amblin as this middleman. And then they had the IP. It's just a fucking, it's a total clusterfuck. And it just recalls back to a day where there were more than two studios making movies. Because, like, why Amblin then? Why not Warner Brothers and Disney producing this? It's so random. 
but it is because Amblin had the animo- animation studio and they were doing uh, like an American Tale at this point and Secret of Nim, right? Like Don Bluth is why Amblin, but he's not involved. No, so he's not involved. And here's the here's the craziest thing about it. If you think about it, the one main studio that was left out of this was Universal because the year before this, yeah. you had another animated film or feature film come out called The Chipmunk Adventure, which was Alvin and the Chipmunks in some like race around the world to collect diamonds. I don't remember why sure. I remember this movie. It was funny as fuck, but it was no, also Vermin. creepy. Vermin, yeah, man. exactly. But Makes Alvin, and the, it was like Alvin and the Chipmunks, is, and they were like famous or whatever. But Universal didn't. They, they were like, I don't know if they weren't approached or like somebody just was like, we don't need Universal stuff. What characters other than Alvin and the Chipmunks? Alvin and the Universal Chipmunks, Rockadoodle. Um, oh, that's who made Rockadoodle. Yeah, uh, it it's technically didn't have Landbus, but like up. Secret of Nim could have been in there. But that's but Amblin, isn't Amblin, it? So Amblin assisted uh, with animation. But it was still a universal film. So okay, so it's so the plot thickens. Like then it's even fucking weirder. Why, like, by it's the way? Not... Is it a suit metaphor? What? That it says the plot thickens? Yeah. Oh my god. Obviously you have never seen the Grand Budapest Hotel. That that joke was for you, Andrew. Anyway. I'm like, what do you mean? That's just a thing people say. I have not seen Grand Budapest. God, to be geez, fair. I, it's I one really of my top five to. favorite movies. Well, because I love what's his name. Um, so it's Wes Anderson. No yeah, I love Wes Anderson. There's no reason that I haven't seen it. I've heard it's great. I just missed it somehow. Anyway, we're a little everywhere. Um like this movie. The point is, if if anyone listening has an idea of like what the shit, like why is it why Amblin so involved in this and not Universal and not Warner Brothers and yet they're in partnership with Warner Brothers? Like if anyone, because I looked it up, like I didn't immediately find anything. I didn't dig for that long, but the the whole like studio collaboration thing happening here is really fascinating. And then where there's Amblin, of course, there's Star Wars, right? Because there's gonna be that part that best friend reference and shit, yeah. Well, well, we get a you're my only hope in this one. And it's, of course, because Spielberg runs Amblin and he's buddies with Lucas. So we get a Star Wars line. So always going to have that in any time where a bunch of things are crossing over. There's going to be Star Wars reference. And here it is. Damn right there will be. Mm -hmm. So um, so who framed Roger Rabbit should be PG-13, right? Oh, a thousand percent. It blows my mind that it's not. It genuinely. It's not. Like I had to pause. I was like, shut up. This can't be a PG movie. And it fucking is. Fucking not. We're dude. Okay. So obviously we're not going to address the elephant in the triple D room um, just yet because she is a huge part of it, but she's also her own thing. Yeah. Dude. Fucking murder. And it's not like the old other movies we saw where someone's killed through a shadow, right? Like you see the shadow of the murder. No, RK Maroon literally has his tie stuck into a typewriter where Eddie's like threatening him. And then he's straight up shot in the back like multiple times. Yeah. There's a lot of murder. Like this whole plot is just about like death and sex and prejudice and redemption. Like it's just, it's really deep. Like it's, this is not for children. Nothing about the plot or the what's going on with the characters is really for kids. It's kind of outrageous. Like I feel like you have to reevaluate taking your kids to see this movie when Eddie is literally caught with his pants down and like bends down to pull them up and 
pops back up and he hits Jessica's tits and it makes a bouncing sound. Right? Why are your kids there? Like, I want a petition for someone to like, not necessarily remake, but like take this concept and do it now because how dope would this be with like all the IP we have now? Like make a super adult ready player one that's just about like a, like a mystery that there's, you know what I mean? Like make a, like just this simple little plot, you know, the world. That's what stake. I'm saying. Go watch the Brad Pitt movie. Cool world. It's basically, I can't believe that's your response. What is this movie? about, Dude. Okay. So I'm not even going to actually like tell you about another movie on this episode, but the movie is basically the PG 13 version of this movie. Brad Pitt plays like the Eddie Valiant role. And it's all about his job is to stop real world people from having sex with characters from the cartoon world. What? Yeah. I'm not even joking. It's a, it, it was a terrible movie, but yeah, I'm going to look it up guys. Yeah. What? Um, but yeah, this absolutely should be PG 13. If not, honestly, dude, like if not R at times, it's like they could have gone in a number like it, you could take this basic premise and you could make it R no problem. Like it's it's so the Eddie stuff especially is really dark. But but let's take a moment to talk about Jessica. Yes, let's. So we've been alluding to her for a long time now as being kind of the first and like the most sexualized animated character out there. Right. And all the way. They have absolutely, like, now we've just sort of cut and run with it. And it's supposed to be that way. It's, like, almost kind of an interesting commentary on... On the animators? Yeah. Yeah. And and at a time where, remember, Mermaid hasn't come out yet. And she's going to start that, like, that's going to escalate from here on out through the Renaissance. Like, a lot of the kind of crappy tropes, right? Like, the other princesses weren't overly sexualized. No, they were all in long gowns and really like, first of all, you have to remember too, a lot of these princesses were 16. Almost. So we're going to talk about that with mermaid, but like, but no, I mean, Ariel's naked, Jasmine naked. Those are the two like most naked ones. Right. I think of like, yeah. So, oh, uh, well, Pocahontas pretty naked, like and super sexualized. She's like one of the most sexualized princesses. But, you know, Jessica Rabbit is more of like a commentary on that than she is it itself, interestingly. And the whole movie is so insanely adult that I feel like the Jessica stuff kind of blends in. Like, she absolutely fits in this universe. Oh, yeah. It didn't, I guess what I'm saying is it didn't bother me. Like, I feel like I should be totally offended by her, but I'm kind of not. And I I really like her line where she says, I'm not bad. Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn this way. I'm just drawn this way. Yeah. So actually, it's funny that you say that. That is number 83 on AFI's top 100 greatest movie lines of all time. Yeah. And some of the stuff that I saw when I was researching for this episode, there were a few people out there who were saying, like, I don't get it. Why is it such a big deal? Right. And I was like, ah, well, let me explain it to you. Um, because it's this like, I really, really liked that line because it's an interesting commentary on like, she's just drawn like that and she can't do anything about it. Right. And like the way that Jessica presents 
including her clothing, right, is how she's drawn. And so it's really this interesting commentary on like, you you can only do so much about how you look, you know, if you're a woman and you have big boobs, like, what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? You're going to get attention for that a lot of the time, unwanted attention, you know, because of your body. And that's true for lots of women of all different body types. And it's an interesting commentary with Jessica on like the attention that the things that you don't have any control over can bring. And in her case, it's heightened because she's just the way she's drawn the outfit that she's in all of the things. Right. Um, and it's this like, just this really interesting commentary on that, that I was like, Oh, I kind of love this. And and she was like this really mysterious character who honestly, I kind of thought maybe she was the bad guy for a long time. I was like, is she going to turn out to be the bad one? I'm not sure. Is she in cahoots with him? Cause you can tell that what's his name is the bad guy, right? Like that's, oh, that's Judge obvious. Doom. Yeah. It's very clear that judge doom is the bad guy of the movie. Yeah. You don't say judge doom. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I thought, though, that she might be in cahoots with him for a little while. I wasn't sure. Like, she had this very sort of, uh, seemed like there's a lot of gray area there, a lot of go either way. Yeah. So you've actually just, like, touched on one of my fun facts, actually. There were over 40 drafts of the script for this movie made, many of which in the early stages had either Baby Herman or Jessica as the main villain. Judge Doom wasn't added until much later. I could have seen baby Herman being involved too. Cause yeah. he kind of just disappears in the beginning, but also is, uh, I'm just now realizing this is the Fox in Zootopia. The little one based off of this guy. God, that would be so funny if he was, he must be right. It's like so similar. So anyway, I really liked, I actually liked the Jessica stuff. Like I didn't, I wasn't offended by the way she was drawn. I thought they made a lot of commentary about that. And I thought it was a really interesting way of saying something that I think I think I support I'm pretty sure if I'm interpreting <laughs> this right I'm like if I have it right the way I'm going with it I totally support the commentary that they're making on um the attention that women get well and I think that's stuff they can't do anything about you know that's basically what it is and I think another facet of it and again I'm I'm a dude I cannot speak to the experiences of of you know a woman or even like a woman that looked like Jessica because I don't know anyone that looks like her without no surgery does, right well that's yeah. the other thing it's like the commentary of like the proportions probably on like Barbie too is probably part of this but go on but I think it's because yeah she's like I'm not bad I'm just drawn that way but she also like is not again we get back into this thing where the female character is not helpless. Oh, at all. No, she's so awesome. Yeah, and it's 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 cool as fuck. Like, the joke about the booby trap, which was probably one of the funniest jokes. I love the wordplay in this movie, and one of my favorite jokes in this movie is I want a scotch on the rocks, and I mean ice, and then he gets a scotch with fucking rocks in his glass is so funny. I enjoyed that, too, but not because I think the like the base joke in it is funny. I thought it was funny the way that he knew what they were going to do. That they were going to do. I know. Yeah. That's, and it's... tried to stop them, but <laughs> yeah. it's just not in their nature. It's just like stupid ass slapstick is just who they are. And yeah, I liked that joke. It was one of the only ones in the movie that I liked, but, but yeah, Jessica's like a cool character. She was She's strong. She tries yeah. to kill Doug, uh, judge doom. I almost said Doug Judy. Jesus. Doug Judy. That's it's Brooklyn nine, nine, but 
Yeah, she even like tries. It looks like she's gonna kill Eddie, and then she like tries to kill Judge Doom, shoots the gun out of his hand, and everything. It's like she's not like this helpless. Please, someone come save me. I mean, at the end, she kind of is, but also Roger is tied up too. Well, that's not. Yeah, it's not about her as like a damsel. Yeah, exactly. They don't. They like draw her as this fantasy while still being like this fucking strong ass person, and I think that's like really cool. It's one of the. One of the things I actually liked about this movie was there were no, I think it's because everybody assumes that Disney has only done these like come rescue me princess trope movies. And as we've done this podcast, I've like learned that that is so not true. It's really not. I think, I think we have determined that the princesses get a lot of flack where it's not deserved. And that's not to say that there aren't gender issues in Disney or let's be real. There's there'd be hours of, of podcasts that didn't exist if that wasn't a problem. Right. Like, so of, of me being like putting on my feminist hat. Lindsay wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be here. If if (laughs) female representation in Disney was perfect, I wouldn't even be doing this podcast. But, but no, you're right. There's a lot where it's like, turns out to be great. And those characters don't always get the uh, respect that they deserve, like Bianca, right? I think that was a yeah, good example. Exactly. Or she was or actually the first one. Jessica. Or Jessica. And, but the Jessica thing is like it's so adult, but it fits in this movie, and it's such great commentary. Like it's so exaggerated. It's a really great satire of animated women right and of course betty boops here to contrast which is fun because she's the real like super over sexualized animated character of the you know the 30s right and she's here to contrast which is nice like the writing in this is spot on like it's even and i will talk more about this in ratings but even though i did not love this movie i can really respect and appreciate the parts that are good and the writing is dead on and the way that the way they do Jessica is dead on what bothered me a lot more than the sexualization stuff, which I, like I say, I liked for the most part, everything happening with her, the violence in this movie stuck out to me a lot. It's it's everywhere. And it's just like, first of all, if you didn't pick up immediately that judge doom just from his name was the bad guy, he straight up murders a tune in front of the other cops and no one does a thing. Yeah. It's just totally fine. Just cold blooded murder. And they talk about it a lot from the very beginning. And the, that first scene I thought was really, really good where they like so seamlessly go from this animated scene into the real world like that was dead on the the beginning of this movie was great and they talk about it then where it's like oh i'm not worried about you roger's like i can take it drop the refrigerator on my head again and he's like i'm not worried about you i'm worried about the refrigerator and like they talk a lot about how the tunes don't feel pain and you can do whatever you want to them and it's fine and they don't get hurt and roger that no pain scene in the bar like that was dark. Dude. Oh yeah, it was the no yeah. pain thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a way more disturbing to me than any of the sex stuff. And so I just like, I don't know entirely what commentary they're making there. I mean, obviously it's a commentary on violence and animation, um, which is like rampant and ridiculous. It's why itchy and scratchy is a running joke, right? It's the same critique. Well, it's why Elmer Fudd got censored in in later looney tunes stuff not like later like in the last like 10 years 
Because he's so violent. But because he's so violent, him and Yosemite Sam and stuff, like, they were straight up trying to kill Bugs Bunny with, like, an axe and a bat full of nails and guns and, like, crazy traps and stuff. And Wiley Coyote shot himself out of a goddamn cannon to eat this Roadrunner and shit. Yeah, Yeah. like, I mean, and Speedy Gonzalez and, like, a lot of the um, WB characters... Right. It's mostly the Warner Brothers characters. Obviously, Disney isn't like wildly violent most of the time. We've obviously see the rest of our podcast for times where Disney's been insanely disturbing and violent, but not in that slapstick. I'm going to hit you with a hammer kind of way that this is getting at. That comes largely from Warner Brothers and or like Roger can't produce stars when the refrigerator falls on him. And so he just starts beating the shit out of himself with a frying pan to make different stuff show up. Yeah. Like it's it's insane. And I it's one of those things that you don't realize when you're a kid, but as I've gotten older and on this watch through, I was like, Good lord, dude. Like yeah. I don't know if this song is a cry for help that he can't feel no pain, because we know that he's like hurting inside because of like everything that happened with Jessica, but like it's insane, dude. Yeah, and it's yeah, and is it physical pain or emotional pain yeah. that he's talking about in that moment? And then it also like it ties in with the plot. Like they're definitely saying something about this because the whole plot of the movie is like that Dr. Doom or whatever comes up with Dr. a Doom. whatever Doom. Judge Doom. Whatever. Mount Doom over here has decided to build he creates like a goop that will kill tunes because nothing else does. And so that's it's like an important through line in the story that like you can't really hurt or kill them. And their immortality is absolutely fascinating to me. And like I the I think an interesting thing that was coming about, this was like way before it's time in the late eighties to be bringing this up, but that's something that came up in more like the early two thousands, I think in um, popular conversation or whatever was like how offended America is by sex, but that we're fine with violence. And I think that this is ahead of its time in having something to say about that. I think so too. Because everybody's down with the sex in this movie, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, no, it's just a chick with like huge tits. It's whatever. But then like you've got talking bullets and like, again, like multiple gun murders hanging. Someone had a fucking safe dropped on their head. Like, it's just crazy. It yeah. literally, like, it just blows my mind how absolutely violent this movie was. And don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not trying to be, like, a prude or whatever. Like, I love violence as much as the next person, and I love this movie. I think it's hysterical. But for the time that this movie came out, and for it being a Disney movie, I feel like this movie was made because animators were like, I'm so sick of drawing happy fucking tree friends. Which is a reference to another animated thing, if anybody knows. Um, But I'm so tired of drawing cuddly woodland critters. I want to fucking kill something. (laughs) So they were like, let's just draw cartoons like fucking going ape shit on humans. (laughs) It is. It is a lot. And I think it's. This is what I mean by like that. It's really well written. Like there's a lot there, I think, with all of the the ways that all of this is sort of brought into the main part of the storyline and then there's even like an alcoholism storyline like just other ways that's a super super adult like really overt explicit 
alcoholism storyline with Eddie. So I, those are the things about this movie that I liked. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what you didn't like? I didn't, I don't like Roger. Scott. <laughs> I don't like him one little bit. I, how does the, I want to quote Dr. Seuss, but I'm not pulling it out of my ass. Um, I don't like Roger. I Rabbit. do not like him, Sam. I am. I do not like him. Yeah, I do not like him. Whatever rhymes. I do not like Roger Rabbit. He's the fucking worst, and he doesn't feel like a Disney character. First of all, he's the reason that this doesn't feel like a Disney movie because he feels like a Warner Brothers character. And part of me is like, did you guys write a Warner Brothers character and realize that you don't have the rights to Warner Brothers, and so you went through <laughs> this like insane, like. <laughs> IP combining like deal making thing to jump from like Amblin to Warner Brothers so that you could bring fucking Rot, uh, Bugs Bunny into this with because I'm pretty sure Disney just wrote themselves a Warner Brothers character and I hate him. I hate him so much. I hate everything that he does and says and his outfit and just all of it. I think he's so annoying and a fucking idiot. And he, he drives an me that's, crazy. That's the whole point. I know, and I hate it. I want to give you the, a moment to defend this because I knew watching this movie, I was like, oh my God, this is the kind of stupid shit that Scott loves. Me. <laughs> so it is. So I want to give you a moment to defend why this style of comedy should not make me petition Disney to remove it from the Disney Plus catalog. Oh my God. Because I hate it. So but please... Please tell me why it's good because I think most people probably agree with you, but like I fucking don't like it. So this honestly, first of all, thanks for that shot at like this is the stupid shit that Scott said. No, it totally is true. Like it, it's, honestly, it's everything true, that Roger though. does like cracks me the fuck up when they give him whiskey and he turns into a fucking train whistle. Like dude. I was like, can I turn this off? I hate this. Oh, I hated it. I hated it so much. It's, I think it's funny because he's used as a vehicle to set up really dumb jokes. And I just love really dumb jokes. Well, that's why I called it the stupid shit that you like. It's true. I know. It, that's exactly what it is. But like the, I... the two the two parts that really stick out to me as like the funniest parts is when he's trying to get inside the, the warehouse and he pushes on the window and he just goes, wouldn't you know? locked and then he like leans against the window and he falls through it because he all he had to do was push the top part not the fucking bottom part that part and the part where he's like and we're not stupid but that realization probably fell on you like a ton of bricks and then like a whole fucking platter of like bricks actually falls on him i think it's just like really stupid setup that is so funny to me i i don't I get why it would not be funny to normal people because I'm not a normal people, but I, I, I just love it because it's like dumb humor. And I think that's where Roger was designed. Like everything around Roger was the adult side of things, but Roger was the kid side of things. Right. He was still just this zany loony, like, bonkers ass cartoon and i think that's what helped keep the movie grounded in this like dude you're actually dealing with like insane cartoons you're not just dealing with a talking taxi and like an uh an animator's like wet dream that's like a legit it's like a legitimate world and i, I think also, i think that's why 
I also think though that like you have a, I think it's most people think it's funny. I think I'm the asshole. I that's no, I think, I think I'm the asshole and I'm okay with that. I think most people think this is funny. I hate slapstick. I, know I hate do. dumb, low hanging fruit comedy. I just, and I think that does make me the asshole and I'm willing to sit here and own that. <laughs> that like that sounds pretentious as fuck. And you know what? Fine. I'm going to sit up in my ivory tower and just <laughs> down and be like, this is so fucking stupid. And I just can't help it. I just, I hate it. But I think that I'm in the minority. I think I'm the asshole. So that's why I wanted to give that to you rather than Thank to you. my rant. Yeah, because <laughs> I, think, I think most people probably agree with you. But that specifically is what makes me not like the movie. And- no, and I get it. And that's, I think that that is a huge, I don't think you're as alone on your island as you think you are. I I think that there are a good portion of people who watch this movie and are just like, they give it the same treatment that I give it the two towers. I think the two towers is a phenomenal movie, but I fucking hate watching Frodo and Sam in that movie. So that's not unfair. Frodo and Sam have a boring section. of Exactly. Movie. So it's to me, I think a lot of people watching this are just like, I know I'm, I'm so excited. And shout out to Anna. Who's been rewatching them all week because I, I've been listening to her commentary and we've been talking back and forth about the Hobbit and shit. Oh dude, I'm so excited to get to these movies. I really no should be. But uh, Anna, the fuck. <laughs> um but so sorry i know you you're good um i i think that there are a lot of people who are like i like roger rabbit i just like i can't stand him i i think it's just it's and i can see it too because he does kind of take you out of that nor drama part of the movie in yeah. really like bad times like when he's like okay, we got put in these cuffs. Like we got to get out here. We got to figure out who's trying to kill you. You're going to stay here. You're going to lay low. And then Roger's like, he takes his hand out of the cuffs and like holds the thing stable. And then Eddie's like, what are you doing? You could have gotten out of those cuffs at any time. He's like, no, only when it was funny. Mm. And like, that shit is hilarious to me, but I can see why people would be like, what the fuck? Like this had, why are we taking a complete right turn down Looneyville? when we should be seeing the straight and narrow, like this is drama. They just tried to get killed and you know, all that stuff. So I get it. I don't think you are as alone in this as you think you are. Yeah. I it's, it's what, it's what made the movie tough for me. Cause it's like, I think that it's well executed in every possible way, including its use of the slapstick, because let's be real. That's what, the style was in the thirties and forties with these WB characters. Like, and I think, I think that's a big part of why Disney brought him in too. Cause they just didn't have that much game at the time. You know, I don't think they did. I think that that's a very good point is that that's really all they had. I mean, they did when they made this movie, but if they were trying to not include characters that didn't exist in the right, 40s stay in that timeline. Yeah. If they're trying to make it like the forties zeitgeist of animation, it is this slapsticky bullshit from Warner brothers. So, it's like, I actually think that they do a good job executing everything that they try to do, including the part that I don't like. But it's so it's like, I can see that. I can see that it's well done, but it doesn't make me like it. The other thing that I want to rail on about Roger. Hell though, yeah, here we go. Yeah, this is so we've established that I like Jessica Rabbit. I think Jessica Rabbit is a cool character. I think she's a bad bitch. And what the fuck is she doing with him? And like she make, he makes her laugh. <laughs> yeah, fucking like, and I was like, Jessica, really? 
surely you're smarter than that. Like, that's my takeaway. I was like, you have to be, come on. Like, he makes you laugh. Like, why does this, he shouldn't be making you laugh because he's not funny, right? So I'm sitting over here being like, Roger's not making me laugh. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, bitch? Like, what are you, like, so anyway, I just feel like she's so much smarter and better than him. And I understand that, first of all, all of this is unfair and totally biased and just me, but but I'm going to go with it. So like she does explain that she loves him in a line that I actually did think was funny more than any woman has ever loved a rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was fine. I laughed at that. I did laugh at that moment. Um, and she's into him because he makes her laugh. Right. But he's, he's still a buffoon and I hate him. And so <laughs> I think people who, who Jessica should be with, cause I can think of a number of animated characters who may not have existed at the time, but before I read your list, can I please ask if Robin Hood is on there? Robin Hood is mentioned. There's no list. Robin Hood's mentioned, but honestly, I think Robin, maybe not yet. I swear to God, I think Robin Hood needs to grow up and to be like 45 before yeah. he's good enough for Jessica. <laughs> right? Robin that we get in the movie is like 27 tops. Like, yeah. Robin's got a good, uh, he's a cool 20 years before he is ready to earn Jessica. He's still kind of a boy, you know, <laughs> but you know, you know, who's ready for Jessica. Oh God. It's either. Uh, Are uh, you looking? Are you no, actually not, pulling I, this out of your ass? No, you I, I genuinely am not looking. I don't even have my, lo- my notes up. It's either. Oh my God. It's either beast after Ooh. he, after he becomes mature. Ooh, that would be a good pick. That's not, that wasn't in my mind, but it would have been a good pick. Yeah, Go on. It's either beast or honestly, the only other person that really comes to mind is King Triton, but he's like barely in the movie. So like, I don't oh, really know. If I, oh, no fucking way. Dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost don't even believe you that you didn't see this. No, because no. I, I was trying to King think of like Triton. older, older characters from movies. And like yeah. the only people that came up were like Jafar, the genie, like the Sultan or Jafar's like. so yik and like. I know. You know Sultan absolutely has no self-awareness. Beast, I agree, but, but before the transformation. Beast as beast could be with, <laughs> right? with Jessica. Definitely. This is the most could see it 10 out of 10. And, but really, real talk, go and look up a picture of King Triton. I know listeners. what he looks like, dude. No, but you know what? <laughs> but you know what? Google it. I'm going to do it too. We'll do it together. Oh my God. Everyone look up a picture of King Triton. <laughs> look at this guy he's like it's not even that he's like a dilf it's like his his white hair leads you to believe that triton's old as fuck but really he's seen some shit Mm. triton is just like embracing his natural aging he just went gray a little early like triton to me looks like he's like you know right where right in the sweet spot right like 47 i mean his his daughters are he's got what like seven daughters yeah, but they're fish. They could all be, you know what I mean? Like, we don't know that they weren't all born at once. They're all fish. They could, honestly, it could be octuplets. Oh, my God. They're fish. We don't know, like, what the situation looks like there. <laughs> we know that it's it, wild down in the sea. At a minimum 16, right? Like, we, it may be older. Well, and she's the youngest, so, yeah. I mean, I've, I kind of feel like... Anyway, that's maybe a conversation for another review because um, <laughs> now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a rabbit hole on that. But the point is that King Triton is like cut. King Triton looks like fucking Jason Momoa's Aquaman down there. Like King Triton deserves uh, Jessica 
That could be a fit. Yeah. But, but Roger, and I know, I know that I should be respecting Jessica's autonomy and her right to choose because if she (laughs) loves Roger and she thinks that's funny, then, you know, I guess, I guess I just need to, you know, have a broader mind and be more open to Jessica and other people's sense of humor, not matching mine. But I got to say, I think Jessica can do better than this fucking asshole. I really do. Feels strongly about it. Can I tell you something that just occurred to me after you had said that line about how she'd never loved and uh, she's no one's ever loved a rabbit as much as her? Yeah. So at the very end of the movie, she picks Roger up and she very seductively says, Come on, Roger, let's go home. I'll bake you a carrot cake. I know. Can I ask if that's where everybody got the term cake from? Because I feel like that is the biggest sexual innuendo in that entire movie. I mean, I think patty cake is the biggest sexual. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Obviously that. Yeah. But that's so on the nose that I'm not even going to like, you fucking know what that is right that away. That was actually funny though. That was like some, that was good satire. That was I like, also love that Roger like is flipping it fast enough so that the pictures are stop motion. Like yeah. It starts to animate. Stuff. I really liked that. Yeah. See, it was, man, I just, I just didn't, just the jokes bothered me, but like, otherwise it was really well done. Like this movie's super, super well executed. I. I really liked that when they were flipping through the book. <laughs> this might actually be the most fun I've had on an episode in a while. And I think I've, a large part of it is I never thought I would ever hear you say the fucking line DILF ever on this dude. fucking podcast. Yeah, and I can't just, believe you didn't predict that. That seems like the most like in line with the way I've been reviewing movies from the beginning. <laughs> with incredible feminist theory mixed with thirst. That's my brand now. <laughs> Now I'm looking at it and I'm like, why don't you have that same thirst for Eddie? Because Eddie is, dude, Eddie, and to me, Eddie is a smoke show. Eddie is fucking fire. Eddie is also a grown ass man. That's, I will say that. It's true. Honestly, Jessica should have run away with him. Um, I, I did like his story too. Like, I liked Eddie. He was a good, I, I liked his, like, he's a good very, foil to Roger. Yes, they have like that odd couple thing going on. And, I like his super well exposited background of like, tell me about this. Like his like friendship with the tunes and his like relate, like they're stoked that when he comes back to Toontown, like tell me a little bit about Roger's tragic backstory. Uh, so it's not Roger's, it's Eddie's, but <coughs> yeah, I, I know. You know names. We've already like, we've already <laughs> no, but to be everything. fair, I should probably get the, the characters in the this movie. The main correct, characters, so. right? Yeah. He reminds me of, uh, names fuck um the guy that i like in fantastic beast jacob he's like a jacob oh J- yeah he does yeah very much right? so i think it's because he grounds you in the like oh okay so this is like something happening in like everyday shit so he and his brother actually ran a private eye or like a, a detect an agency to protect and like assist tunes uh who had been like you know, like crime or whatever, like injustice or, you know, prejudice or whatever. Um, and then they were investigating and a tune who Eddie never found drops a piano on his brother's head and kills him. And we actually find that out in what I can only describe as one of the most violent non weapon related scenes in the movie is when he goes back to the, the, uh, red car bar and it's when we first meet Dolores and the construction worker sitting at the bar next to her starts asking Eddie about what happened to his brother 
and Eddie, he puts the guy sits on the stool next to Eddie and then Eddie knocks the stool out from underneath him. So the guy, this is so painful to me to watch. And I cannot believe that he was not more hurt by this. He slams his chin into the bar and then Eddie stuffs the egg into his mouth and like tells him to shut the fuck up or whatever the hell he says. But I'm like, dude, your chin just made velocital contact with that fucking bar how do you not have a broken or shattered jaw right now velocital yeah it's just like (laughs) it's insane how quickly he like just hit this fucking thing and he just gets up and he's like what's his problem and he spits out the egg or whatever and i'm like dude but yeah so that's the backstory he um eddie became disillusioned with the tunes after a tune who he had fought to help and protect killed his own brother and so he never returned to Toontown for a very long time. And then he's hired by the studio. Uh, I think they offer to pay him a thousand dollars is what it is. They give him no, 500. It's like a hundred. It's like a hundred bucks, but it's 1940 something. A thousand dollars. That's like what it so is. Much money then. No, I that's what it that was. His backstory and like the way that his brother is ostensibly killed by the tune. Not just the fact that it's a tune, right? But that it's the way that it's done with the piano or the safe on his head is like related, I think, to what we were saying about the commentary on violence and how like tunes don't get hurt, but people do. And it's like the same modality that like they do it to Roger over and over and over again on screen or whatever, dropping stuff on his head. But, you know, then if a tune does that to a person, like they're not immortal. And there's like a very interesting, like, mortality conversation happening here somewhere that i'm like can we do more of this like these are the things i found really interesting in this and that they only touch on it on the surface level but those details are fascinating right yeah that's the thing that i would like want to discuss like explore more is like are are everyday humans jealous of the tunes um because they will literally live forever i would be like i would just be so mad about this whole thing. By the way, there are two. There is another way that tunes can die. Um, they can laugh themselves to death. Oh, right. We see that. We see that at one point. They turn into uh, angels. Little, yeah, like ghost, green ghost angels. <laughs> but I, I feel like there had to have been people who were like envious of the tunes for not first of all for not being able to be hurt and i think that's what the song no pain actually comes about as people are like it's so funny like he can't be hurt that would be so cool but in that we do see that like dude he he is emotionally devastated so i think it's this like balancing act of people not being able to acknowledge like tunes as people i don't know there's like a whole other conversation there about like prejudice and segregation and shit yeah, there is. And it's like not a small part of this movie that yeah. like they have to live in Toontown, but they don't own Toontown. Like the end of the story is them getting the rights to it through the will. Yeah. Right. They don't have any rights over the space that they're in or what happens to them. And um, I mean, there's clearly no union at work. And all the time that they get injured, it's like you see Roger, like even if it doesn't hurt him he still looks fucked up from it you know oh, what I yeah mean? it's not like he's not affected so it's like super super dark and it's not not about that like it's it's not all that buried in the movie you know what i mean like the prejudice stuff and the segregation stuff is really like pretty high level in this movie and yeah what is like the 
a tune station in society? What rights does a tune have? How did they come to exist? What's the story? Like, there's a lot of of exposition and like world building that I would really appreciate. And that's the thing that's most interesting about this premise and the story. And it's it is where it all came from, right? Is like what it, what world does the tricks rabbit go to when they cut filming? That's what this is. Like, right? is he just a cartoon or yeah, exactly. Like I think, yeah, if that was real, what does it look like? Exactly. And I think a, a, a big part of it too is like, they view Marvin Acme as like their dad, like their right. dad slash God or like their champion that like fought for them and created all of them and shit. And funny that it's Acme, which is WB. I know. Yeah. It's WB. <laughs> Um, and he just like him dying sets this chain of events off that is that showcases how actually shitty the tunes lives really are. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's kind of like insane that that's something you would never really get as a kid watching it as an adult. You're just kind of like, dude, their life kind of like sucks ass. Yeah. And we know from this like awesome show don't tell where they show Eddie's office and like his brother's stuff and the old newspaper clippings that it's like even the really popular tunes like Huey, Dewey and Louie, right. Are kidnapped. And there's a headline about that or goofy gets exonerated, I think for something, which I'm like, I love this idea. Give me more of this. Why is it not all of the, this all the time? I don't care about Roger. See, this would be but a dope that show. Was, that was a mistake. Why did, yeah, it would be a dope show. And why did they have to bring in this character? No one gives a fuck about who's so annoying, but also I wouldn't have wanted it to be like a Mickey movie either, but what an opportunity they would have had there to make it a Mickey mouse movie who, and Mickey has never had his own movie. And this asshole is married to Jessica. This should have been the, the who framed King Triton. Fucking telling you. I'm like, there's never been a. I don't like. I don't want a sequel to this movie. I want a TV show that follows Eddie, like breaking open these cases about tunes. I want to see the world. Yeah, I want to see like what it was like. Like, you know, better call Valiant or whatever. That's what we need. Better call Valiant. Yeah, dude. It it's. And but yeah, it's it seems like um, their whole shtick of like we we help tunes who are underrepresented, you know, it's very noble, and it's like they're clearly being oppressed in some way and like used by the studios, and like there's there's so much more interesting stuff happening here. I want them to just like not even a prequel. I want them to just completely overhaul this whole thing and just like do it again. But like without Roger, you know, first of all, and, but just take the, take this concept, take this base and go from there and do something wild because it, you know what it reminds me of a little bit. Um, it's why we love the boys, right? Which plug for the fact that we are going to just turn into a boys podcast in a few weeks here. True story, guys in uh, June. Just uh, we're we're gonna be getting through the the timeline for a little bit more, <clears throat> and then um, yeah, we're coming back for the boys. Yep, we're just gonna be a boys podcast. Yeah, which I'm stoked about. But that's why that show really well. Um, lots of reasons that we will talk about when we review that show. But it's one of the reasons that that really works, right? Because it's like, okay, so what if it was real? What if this was really happening? Yeah, exactly. 
what if the superheroes in all the superhero movies were actually superheroes? That's what the boys is basically, right? From its at its most basic. And it works. So why can't we do that with this and have it be funnier and better and like again and newer and not with Warner Brothers characters? I have a lot of requests for the overhaul of this movie, but I really like the bones of it. It's like and and the movie itself is executed well. Um Anyway, do you have anything else you want to add about Eddie before we kind of do fun facts and start to wrap it up? Well, yeah. So like one of my, I'll lead it right into the fun facts. My, one of my fun facts is actually really sad. Um, it is about Bob Hoskins who played Eddie. Um, Bob Hoskins son actually refused to speak to him for like two weeks after he first saw this movie. Uh, and Hoskins eventually found out it was because his son had watched the movie and become so upset that his dad had filmed something with Bugs Bunny and never introduced his son to him. And I think that is the most innocent, hilarious, educate your kid moment I've ever fucking heard <laughs> in my life. Yo, he doesn't even share a scene with Bugs, too. That would have been the first thing I would have said is like, look, I yeah, know he does. Like I, Oh, really? Does he? Bugs is one that gives him the spare. Oh, yeah. Briefly, you're right. Yeah. So how old was this kid when this happened? Do we know? Dude, he had to be like six or seven, five, five to seven or something like that. Old enough to know like, hey, those are cartoons and I love them, but like not old enough to be like, they're not fucking real. They're not real. <laughs> oh. Well, this movie sure would tell you that it is, right? That's why it's cool. I know. And that's that actually is why it works. Um so in the in the vein of your love for Jessica, I do actually think that this is really weird. So Jessica for her speaking roles was actually voiced by Kathleen Turner, who you guys would know as Peggy Sue or from Romancing the Stone. Um, but her singing roles, which is only one time in this movie, she only sings one song, is Amy Irving. But only Amy Irving has a credit on the actual movie. Kathleen Turner does not have any credits anywhere. I think that's so weird. Are you, like, I, I want to question you on that. Look it up. I'm dead serious. Really? I am, dude. I'm looking it up on IMDb. That's where I got it from. (laughs) Dude, are you kidding me? Yeah. Because like everything. Oh my God, you're right. She's, her name is nowhere on the, I just did like a quick search for Turner. It's nowhere on like the cast page and stuff, which is, which is crazy. Um, Because everything that I read about this movie is like, oh yeah, Kathleen Turner, Kathleen Turner. And it's like, so weird and there's her quote on the imdb page or another another quote from that same line where she says you don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way that i do and then uh, yeah man she was this movie was like you know this is why it pisses me off let me let me put my thoughts together in a succinct (laughs) way this movie was too smart for the The how dumb the comedy was no like the it's like the movie that we got is really smart a lot of aspects of it are really really smart and the comedy is so fucking stupid and it's that that pisses me off because it's as as soon as i thought something was happening that i was interested in fucking that rabbit was on screen again i swear (laughs) that fucking rabbit that's what it is it's him that i don't like everybody else i'm like you all were great Sporting cast, you all had really interesting things to say about society and like <laughs> like philosophical shit and revenge and prejudice and but Roger, you had nothing to give. You had nothing to give me. <laughs> anyway, go on. I know there's additional fun facts. Swear to fucking God. I like this next fun fact. 
Yeah, this fun fact is crazy. And I actually like am a little disappointed this isn't what we got. Me too. I'm so, a <laughs> actually when um when casting uh Judge Doom, originally Tim Curry had auditioned for the role, but Zemeckis, Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Michael Eisner literally all unanimously unanimously agreed he was way too fucking terrifying. Like, way, way too fucking terrifying. I want to see those audition reels. Like, how scary could... Uh, like, I would love to see that. Because I bet you Tim Curry was scary in this. Tim Curry is, to be clear, fucking terrifying. He is. I love him so much. Like, he is literally one of my favorite actors. Like, on... Oh, my God. How many hours do you think we'll talk about Muppet Treasure Island for? Oh, like, at least 30. Right? Because we get like 90 minutes in on stuff that I come in being like, I fucking hated this. So we still talk for an hour and a half. When we do Muppet Treasure Island, (laughs) you guys buckle up. It's going to be the best day of our lives. It's like why we're doing this podcast, honest to God. Yeah. So that we can eventually get to Muppet Treasure Island. It really kind of that. Yeah. It's like not, not how the podcast started. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Actually, that's a fucking hilarious. I I completely forgot about that shit. It's how how I knew this was going to work. Like the first time you and I really talked about doing this and it was like, do you you like Mother Treasure Island? (laughs) Actually, well, so, and here's, here's the other thing that I think is so funny about this. So you guys have to remember before this, uh tim curry had not he he was not pennywise at this point no he hasn't done anything right this is kind of one of his first no he's done tons of shit before this he was in the hunt for red october as dr petroff he was um oh my god he was uh legend he was darkness in legend and then he was i mean he was rooster and annie the brother that like kidnaps her and shit oh wow yeah and then obviously his first was dr frankfurter or like one of his first was uh, Dr. Frankfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, shit. That's correct. You know, I haven't seen the Rocky Horror movie that much. I've been to see the live show. But yeah, you're right. Rocky Horror in 1975 is one of the big things. He was in the Will Shakespeare miniseries in the 70s. Yeah, he wouldn't, yeah, be, right. he wouldn't be Pennywise anyway. for another two years, actually, after this movie came out. Well. He was in the Paddington Bear TV series. I love me some Paddington. Unbelievable. I watched and Paddington 2 the other day for like no fucking reason. Wow. Okay. I know. I was like, I need <laughs> something cute. I'm going to put on Paddington 2. The point is, listeners, we're just like creating shit to edit today. That's today's <laughs> today's yeah. mission is how miserable can we make Scott's afternoon? And is Lindsay going to end up just doing this because you have like places to be? No, I don't. I'm, I, I got it. Anyway, the last thing, and I'm going to leave this right into my ratings uh, because we were just talking about him, is throughout the entire movie, every time that he is on screen to make him as terrifying as possible, Christopher Lloyd never blinks as Judge Doom. Never blinks once. Is that intention? It must be. It's 100% intentional, yeah. That's creepy. Well, and then he like becomes a tune or whatever. So maybe he it's was, like yeah, a and it, Uncanny he, Valley unrealism. Exactly. And he was like, uh, he was wearing a rubber mask the whole time. And yeah, it's, it's kind yeah. of insane. I want to know what he looked like. Like, I feel like that would have just been like the coolest fucking part, but all we ever see animated on him is his eyes. 
I really wish there could have there's like a fan cut of this like take out Roger. Like oh but without God. Roger. Like and that would be so into this and movie. Jessica. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and King Triton. Unreal. I have a whole other version of this in my head. Yeah, you do. Well, tell me what what you gave this version. Well, did you like the music? You didn't get a chance to tell us whether you liked the music. So the music in this is weird. Um, it is very cartoony. Um, in and obviously that's so on the nose. It's like I shouldn't even have to say that, but it's not. It's not a score that I would listen to and be like, yeah, this was like really well done or whatever. It was like it it fit for the movie it was designed in but this isn't a score like this is this wasn't the hunt for red october or the rock i wouldn't listen to these on my drive somewhere like i do those scores that's what makes you weird nerd alert okay i was literally just about to say that gives you guys a little intricate look into my 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 life is nerd alert yeah (laughs) fucking major nerd no i like to nerd alert you on your spotify playlist and stuff though I know. Says the woman who asked me to send her my Disney playlist, which you I still need did. to do. I know. I got to do did. that. So, you know what? You don't even get to nerd alert me on that. That's true. I know. I'm sorry. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm really just kind of like feel like I'm drunk, even though I'm not. So I'm just sort of all over the place today. <laughs> just giving you a hard time. I love you. Yeah, I know. Um, but what did you give this movie? I gave this baby a five out of ten. Um, I saw that coming. Yeah, it was, I mean, I almost went lower, but it's like, this is one where, like, the rating that I'm giving is not an objective rating. This is just how, this is how I feel about this. But if I were to rate this more objectively, it would definitely be closer to, like, the 7 to 8 range, for sure. If I was to just be, like, objectively, is this a good movie? Yeah, this is probably getting, like, an 8 something, right, for it's really well done. It's super well written. It looks fucking incredible. It's just not my cup of tea. It's really just, it's like so close for all the reasons that I won't repeat, right? I've said a bunch during the course of this podcast, but it's like, mm, that fucking rabbit, man. But I love the premise and I can say that even the parts I didn't like were done well. Like the slapstick and the dumbass humor is, it makes sense. It's part of the the zeitgeist of what they're going for here. It, that's what, It's what they were trying to do. It's just, so it's like they... They absolutely crushed it at everything that they set out to do in this movie. I just think that they set out to do the wrong thing. And so I'm giving it a five. But but I can acknowledge for those who love this movie, and I know that a lot of people do, even though this was not my thing, I can definitely acknowledge this deserves like an eight. So I just want to make sure that's clear because I understand how biased I am. What did you give me? And that's fine. And like, honestly, like for as, as funny as I find this movie and as much as I do talk about it, like in a positive light, I actually only gave this a 6.75 out of 10. Like while it is endearing and like classic to me, like watching this as I've gotten older uh, has changed a lot. And I think a big part of that is the commentary on prejudice and the way that they're taught they're, like viewed and the whole thing surrounding Jessica um like yeah it's still like fucking hilarious to me and i love the whole like scots on the rocks joke is one of my favorite and a lot i think it's my favorite because i don't think a lot of people actually understand the joke when they first watch this movie 
because he doesn't he doesn't say like oh my god there's a fucking rock in my drink he just takes a rock out of his glass and goes typical and throws it back into the thing well it's not sally draper up in here hopefully i know this film's audience was not like making (laughs) (laughs) true story although who fucking knows actually to be honest the adults would have been the the boomers who saw this movie would have it's a really good point actually yeah um but it, I think at the core of this, it does genuinely blow my mind that this was only a PG-13 or a PG, a PG movie. I wish it was PG-13. I know. I feel like we would have gotten a much crazier or grittier movie. I hate using that word because everybody's like, the new Batman was so gritty. And like, and it's like <laughs> everyone uses that fucking word now to be like, yeah, that just means it was in the dark. Like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which, as so discussed, it's where batman belongs it's where batman belongs enough of this sunshine cape crusader shit <laughs> anyway um I, the last thing i'm going to say is like i don't think that if you had tried to make this movie today that this escapes pg-13 borderline razor thin almost hitting rated r I, d- uh, I don't think so. This is a million percent a PG-13 movie. This yeah. is so much more adult than your average Avengers film. Yeah, 100%. Like, this, it's like, it's actually, I just, I really wish they could like go harder with it though. You know what I mean? Or like better. Like, or just, like give it the boys treatment. It. Yeah, get, yeah, yeah. And the boys obviously is like a hard R. Like there's some stuff in the boys that I'm like, this is on TV. Yeah. Like, holy shit. What did you think about Dr. Doom? I love Dr. Doom, but Judge Doom, <laughs> uh, I gave, I actually, honest to God, like I gave him an eight out of 10. He is, he is like the per, he is a great villain. He is a great caricature of a villain. He is, it's not one of those things where you're like, who's the bad guy the whole time? Like, no, you fucking know, dude. Like, <laughs> he murdered a oh, yeah, shoe. You know. Like, he murdered his shit. He did. He was just very obviously the bad guy from yeah. like moment one. But more than that, like if this was Christopher Lloyd and he was this creepy, I want to know what Judge Doom as or Tim Curry as Judge Doom was because Same. that is bonkers to me. Yeah, I would love to see what Tim Curry would have done with this. So my. My issue with it, I ended up just giving it a five in line with all the around because, yeah. well, when I don't know what to do, you know, if I don't have really strong feelings, I kind of line it with the movie. And with with Mount Doom over here, <laughs> I just feel like uh, I needed more. Like I, re- this is this loops back around, it and I won't repeat it all, but everything I've been saying about world building and just I really wanted to know more about what was going on. Like, what were his motivations? Like. Jacob's motivations were great in this movie, right? And yeah, well, no, and that's the whole thing. Jacob like, Cross. <laughs> yeah, like, like a lot of the character stuff was drawn out really well, and his just kind of it was. I was like, I understand that you were the antagonist, but that like that was very clear to me. But beyond that, I was like, I don't really know why. Like, I don't really understand why you also now are suddenly a tune, and like you have this like squad of tunes working for you, but they're gonna murder all the tunes and Toontown. Yeah, like, like why does why? he? He's a tune. Why does he want to destroy Toontown? Like, what happened? Is he just like maniacally insane, or like what the fuck? And how does <laughs> no one know who he is? Like, how does how does no one remember drawing him? Well, okay, so that too, like, how do they actually come into existence? Who draws them? What is this like? We're all marbles and it's men in black or whatever. Like, 
yeah, that I feel I I'm confused. And I think that it's all like it. It makes me want to understand where do tunes come from? Why would one want to get rid of all the tunes? What are, is the tune standing in society? Where does the prejudice and the segregation come from? Like, what do regular people have to lose by incorporating tunes into society? Like, what are they, do- you know, there's just a lot there to unpack that doesn't get unpacked and it frustrates me. And it makes me not care about this guy. So that's kind of where I landed with it. I was like, for all the reasons that I wanted more out of this whole movie, like I want this whole thing to just like drop the comedy and just like explain this world to me, like get serious, sit down, you know, take your goofy glasses off and fucking pay attention. It's class time. I want to know what's going on. <laughs> I'm not, I'm really like not cool. Like I need a, I need a lot more information before I'm willing to like, Oh, but Roger, you know, smacked himself in the face for the 7,000th time. I'm like, where's my explanation of what is going on? (laughs) So anyway, that's all about me (laughs) and not a reflection really on what they were trying to do with this film. Because I think I think they did what they were trying to do really, really well. I just wanted like way more information. I'm like, is it in the book? Do I have to read this fucking book? I would really prefer not. I to. have no idea, and I'm telling you not to do it. <laughs> I really don't want to. I just would. I would. I would like someone to take this concept and run with it in the, in the now time. Yeah. And with different characters and no Roger. Yeah. If I haven't been clear about that. No, you've been pretty clear. <laughs> take us out of here, Scott. I'm gonna take us out of here before Lindsay tells me that she didn't like Roger Rabbit, um, which I'm afraid of hearing um so yeah as always thank you all so much for joining us tonight we hope that you enjoyed yourselves and maybe even learned something i you know who knows <laughs> uh join maybe us maybe next not tonight maybe not tonight yeah maybe you learned that i have my hands full with editing um <laughs> <laughs> join us next week for land before time which we have both unanimously agreed because there were so many people to talk to um that we're gonna drink for that one because i'm gonna need that for the emotional roller coaster that is the land before time yeah we're gonna drink for the land before time people buckle up yeah this is this is not your sequel this is the og yeah this is not your happy chomper sequel fucking Uh, big water shit this is the original everything's dark it's this is the fucking batman of the land before time yeah true story um the rest of it is all superman (laughs) (laughs) dark it's the darkest night of the land before time jesus christ and the only land before time we'll be covering true story i'm not there's like 11 (laughs) movies you guys i'm not fucking doing it dude you don't even know there's like 30 oh my god i'm not even kidding i'm not even kidding anyway anyway (sighs) be sure to wait wait no because i looked it up because i did and i thought it would be that is there a land before time 15 is one of the things on just look up how many land all right no there's 14 there's 14 oh i was so close it's not 30 i for real thought it was more than 20 i thought we were coming up on like like sharing similarities with like number of gray's anatomy seasons i'm gonna let you actually take us out of here i am drunk (laughs) on life today you guys (laughs) hi on the spice of life yeah you are um but yeah be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as well as follow us on all of our social media um you can find the links to our sites and that social media in the episode descriptions uh i don't know why i always want to say below um but if you would like to support the podcast we do very much encourage you to follow us on patreon or check out our website for all of the timeline goodies past present and future and until next time guys stay nerdy <laughs>